Validas Tool and Library Qualification Podcast with your host, Oskar Slotosch. In this podcast, we support you in building a safe and compliant infrastructure for your software development. It's about the safety of tools and libraries that can be achieved by qualification. Hello, my name is Oskar Slotosch and I'm your expert in tool qualification and avoidance of tool qualification. And today I have a guest on the show, Daniel Kestner, a CIO from Upsint. Hello, Daniel. Good morning. Hello. Good morning. Can you introduce yourself? Say something about your career, your company? Yes, I've uh, studied computer science and business economics in Saarbrücken and then uh, founded together with some colleagues the company Upsint. And we are providing development tools for embedded systems with a focus on verification and uh, certification of safety critical or security relevant software. And uh, one of the big technology from a methodology perspective um, we are using a static analysis. And um, that's also something we might want to talk about today. Yes, of course. So I, I know that you're working with static analysis, but can you say something about the name Upsint? Yes. So Upsint is coming from the name abstract interpretation, which is actually the formal method for static analysis. So there you can already see that it is some meaning for the company. So maybe a bit later we can talk a bit more about the technical uh, background, but uh, so abstract interpretation is a mathematical method for static analysis. And um, because that's the basis of quite some of our products. Um, when we founded the company, we thought, oh, well, how could we name it? Uh, we had some acronyms, which are all very hard to keep in mind. And then we thought, why not Absinthe? Because, well, we are also located in Saarbrücken, which is very close to the French border. So having an association with nice green drinks from <laughs> across the border is also quite nice. Yeah. Perfect name. So I agree. Um, maybe you can uh, switch to the static analysis topic. And uh, there are dynamic analysis like testing and static analysis, which out executing the program. So what can you find within a program without running it? So actually, you already said a very important point there, because that's often uh, a source of misunderstanding. So static uh, means, well, the static and static analysis is about the technique and not about the contents or what's being analyzed. So um, static analysis means that this is just some technique to compute some information about a program without executing it. It's really the definition, and it's about the analysis methodology. So you could say that a very basic form of static analysis is doing a manual code review. But of course, the nicer thing is uh, to have a tool-based analysis, and well, that's mostly what what we talk about today when we when we mean static analysis. But um, actually, the most interesting kinds of static analysis are static analysis of dynamic program properties. And, uh, well, examples for this is, well, which values uh, can a variable take at a given program point? Can it ever be zero, for example, when you divide by this variable? Or even to look at the stack usage of a program and worst case execution time. So that's typical dynamic properties of programs, but which can be analyzed very well by static analysis. And um, which kind of 
errors are you searching or can you find by static analysis? So uh, in general, we are targeting programming defects on uh, different levels. So let's say the traditional way how static analysis often is perceived is that this is something which looks at the syntax of the program. So there are many coding guidelines around, like for example, Misra C, Misra C++ or Third C. And uh, most of them are formulated really on the syntax of the program. Uh, on purpose, because that makes them easy to check and easy to follow during um, programming. So one thing we can do, of course, is to check for compliance to these coding guidelines. But then it gets more interesting when um, when it's really about the semantics of a program, which means, uh, well, is this program correct or may there be a defect at a certain point in the program? And uh, then these defects can be at the programming language level, so in C or C++, uh, there can be undefined or uh, unspecified behaviors. And some of these undefined behaviors of the programming language can lead to defects to failures. Classical examples are error index out of bounds accesses, invalid pointer accesses like buffer overflows or null pointer, dangling pointer references. Division by zero, of course, too. And then uh, defects which arise due to concurrent program execution. Like if you have several threads and uh, then you could run into data races, which means the threads are accessing the same variable without appropriate synchronization. So both of them could be writing at the same time or overlapping, or you have overlapping reads and writes and then get corrupt values. So that's at the programming language level. And uh, then, a very interesting area is also, let's say, the intersection of software and hardware. So if you have some software running on a given machine, then, of course, that influences, for example, the stack usage or the worst case execution time of the program. So that's also properties we can address by, by the static analysis. Uh, how much stack is the program using in the worst case? And, well, how long can the tasks take? in the worst case, and can we be sure that they will be meeting their deadline? And then maybe we can come back to this abstract interpretation, because the advantage of having the formal method for static analysis is that it's possible to prove that these analyzers will only err on the safe side, which means that we can prove that there will be no false negatives, no missed defects. So if you have some normal, let's say, static analyzer, which checks for buffer overflows, for example, it may find some buffer overflows, but you can never be sure that it has really found all of them. And if you have an abstract interpretation-based analyzer, you essentially have a mathematical proof that all the defects of this kind you have in the program will be reported by the tool. Or in worst-case stack usage or worst-case execution time analysis, you can be sure that the analyzer will never underestimate the true worst case. And of course, that is a very important property because it uh, it allows you really to do some, some verifications on the software behavior and be sure that you will not run into certain kinds of defects when having the software in productive use. So the output of the analysis can be threefold. So for example, if you check for division by zero, it can be the either saying, okay, it will divide by zero if this and input are given or it will never divide by zero or it may divide by zero, I cannot determine it. Is this true? Yes. 
So that is the, the three output results. And what should I do if it's uh, saying, I don't know, or it's not, I cannot determine it. Is this something that uh, from a programmer point of view, what is the result there? Is he then checking it? No, then the programmers have to investigate the situation and uh, check whether there may be a false alarm in the tool or uh, whether it's actually a defect in the program and the tool could not say, okay, this is guaranteed to happen. Well, if it's a false alarm, then um, often you can help the analyzer be more precise. More precise means... You can give him hints. Yes. And uh, that's also a property of our analyzers that you can do this at a very fine granular level. So there is not a big option switch. Or, okay, now tune the setting from two to three. Uh, then the analysis will take much longer and might might be more precise. No, you can do this on a very fine grained level at this uh, in this function or in this loop. Be more precise, and then the chances are pretty good that um, you can get rid of false alarms. Of course, you will you will never get rid of uh, any true defects. That's also uh, guaranteed. But uh, having a low false alarm rate is, of course, very important. And S3 is a tool that can do these uh, nice, great things? Yes. So this is, well, this is built in, in the S3 analyzer, yes. And uh, in a similar way, you can also interact with the stack usage analysis or the, um, the worst case execution time analysis. Can you give us some example of uh, what kind of errors you have found, or just some of them? Well, so yeah, so I can't give any specifics uh, because of uh, well, for confidentiality reasons, of course, I cannot name anything uh, in a concrete way. But well, we we found um, all the litany of things which can happen, starting from division by zero or some arithmetic overflows, buffer overflows, of course. And uh, then, yeah, well, and in the uh, stack analyzer and worst case execution time analysis tools, AIT or Timeweaver, of course, uh, we did find stack true stack overflows and um, deadline misses. So this this really happens. Yes, uh, it's really happening. And I remember having heard a talk from you about the heart bleed vulnerability. So I thought you have found this, or you could have found it. Yes, we would have found this. I'm sure so. Um, uh, the heart bleed bug essentially was a buffer over read, which allowed you to access memory beyond the argument which was thought to be accessed. And this memory region then contained lots of confidential information, which then was leaked. That would have been detected by Astrie. And there are some other famous examples which went through the media, like the Ariane 5 explosion that would have been detected, or the Division by Zero incident in the Yorktown destroyer. So you had this destroyer which was dead in the water because of a Division by Zero. So um, it's your fault that you didn't check this, and or is this the fault of the, the people implementing the systems that they didn't call you? Well, in, in, in the case of the Ariane explosion, we haven't been around yet, but okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so well. this was before our times. But yes, yeah, so these kinds of defects would have been detected, sure. So this is really an, an extra value. So many people think, hey, we can just turn on the warnings in our compiler and then go through the warnings and uh, then we, are, we have done a static analysis. Yes. So what the, what the compiler can do is quite limited. So normally when you uh, when you compile a program, you have module-wise module compilation, which means that uh, per se it cannot do whole program optimizations. 
Uh, and then, of course, it doesn't want to um, to delay uh, compilation time too much. So, um, so, so the focus of the compiler is quite different, and uh, the warnings you get there cannot be compared to a true semantical program analysis tool. Interesting. Uh, we are speaking on the podcast about tool and library qualification. So, is Astrea a qualified tool? Yes, it is. But can you say us a bit more? So um, what we essentially support with all our tools is, um, if we, for example, look in the ISO 26262, um, are two aspects. The first is validation of the software tool. And the second one is development in accordance to a safety standard. So in, in the ISO 26262, so in the automotive domain, that's uh, the techniques you have to do when, uh, when, when you, for example, have ASLC or D software. That's highly recommended there. And uh, in um, aerospace industry, you, you also have to have a similar approach, which means that you have to be able to demonstrate that the tool works correctly in the operational context of the tool user. Works correctly means that it satisfies its low-level tool requirement specification. So that means that uh, first there must be a precise and traceable description of what the tool exactly is doing or should be doing. Then there must be a specification of test cases you can use to investigate this. And then, of course, you need a validation suite running through these test cases to determine whether that's actually the case and the tool satisfies the requirements um, which have been specified. At the operational level, there is also very important. So, this, uh, of course, this is a property also on the environment, on the machine on which the tool is running, that there is not some system update which somehow... Uh, change the way uh, the system is dealing with floating point numbers, for example, and suddenly you have unexpected results. Um, previously, you mentioned that um, the Astre tool does not uh, produce false negatives. So is this also a property that you can show by testing? So as a result from true qualification? Well, uh, there, there are, yes. So there are certain um, aspects of, the, let's say, the operational behavior of the tool. Um, like, for example, if you set uh, some option, then this option should be uh, taken into account, or if, if you read an input, it should be taken into account. Um, and another aspect, of course, is that in certain scenarios, uh, the expected alarms are actually triggered. So there are also tests for this, but uh, we cannot be exhaustive so that there is... Um, uh, so we have some mathematical reasoning, uh, so essentially that's scientific papers which publish the proofs we have about the analyzer design that uh, or the design of the so-called abstract domains that they are mathematically correct and then with a qualification kit you are essentially targeting the tool implementation and um, so we have an intended behavior of the tool which uh, which means that we should implement a certain abstraction a certain analysis technique um, we have a proof that this is, uh, on the mathematical side, this is correct, this is sound. And with a qualification kit, we try to, to talk about or to provide confidence in the correctness of the implementation. And uh, this is something which cannot be exhaustive. So the validation suite contains a reasonable set of test cases to check uh, that in the expected cases we report the alarms the analyzer should do. And then, of course, um, this can always be extended. So if you want to extend this by additional application-specific tests, uh, then, then the users are free to do so. 
that's very interesting. Um, typically, I also uh, I, I usually say to my customers or to our customers, we need a test strategy that shows uh, that the tool is doing what it should do. And the test strategy, I, th I tell them always, is a number of required test cases and an argument why this is sufficient. And I understood you in the way that part of your test strategy is a formal proof that the abstract interpretation algorithm is sound. And then you just need to um, test that you are implementing this sound algorithm correctly. And that's a, a perfect test strategy. So really, uh, congratulations for that. Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I have another question regarding memory. Uh, memory leaks or something like that. Um, how far can we get with the static analysis? Where, where are the limits of static analysis? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting question. So um, if you are in a classical safety domain, then you should not use dynamic memory allocation in the sense of heap memory. So, so you could consider stack usage as a form of dynamic memory allocation, but uh, that's not critical because uh, the stack is essentially well-defined and well-analyzable by the structure of the programs to be executed. And then you can also organize dynamic memory allocation in different ways. So, for example, you can you can have a, a pooled uh, dynamic memory allocation where essentially you, uh, in the beginning of the program, during the ramp-up phase, you, you, you allocate a big chunk of memory. Uh, then, then you do your program and in the end you free it again. But you do not start allocating and freeing in between. So that's, that's also easy to analyze. And then it gets interesting when you really have dynamic uh, heap memory allocation in the sense that while the program is running, you allocate more memory, uh, you free it, and so on. And um, so this is amenable to a static analysis in, in, in general, but um, the more frequent uh, you're using this and uh, the more complex the algorithms are, the worse the analysis results will get. So because in difference to these, um, well, to the to the pooled dynamic memory allocation in the stack, with a classical dynamic heap memory allocation, the life spans of the objects can be quite different from, uh, let's say, from the scope in which they have been created, which means that you have to be very precise on the place some dynamic memory is allocated and freed. So that means um, some of the abstractions of the simplifications on the program structure the analyzer can normally do cannot be applied there. So you have to be very precise on the places where you're allocating and this will make the analysis more complex. So you have to possibly have to deal with higher analysis times. And uh, then also if uh, if the analyzer gets imprecise because it has to, uh, to unify some contexts, uh, then of course you can get more false alarms if you're starting to unify several dynamic memory allocation contexts. And usually is it uh, something that people get really through it at the end that they can say, okay, now we have a proof that uh, we are safe. So can they just improve the program and give hints to the analyzer until they know it's safe? Or is it something uh, at sometimes most people give up and say, okay, just take a megabyte more of memory and then we hopefully are safe? Or how does it, what is your experience with that? Well, so, um, so you certainly can analyze some realistic software and uh, then have proven essentially that you are, for example, free of runtime errors. So, for example, the flight control software of the Airbus 380 um, was run through the S3 analyzer and there was no no alarm. So, 
wow. essentially there's a proof that this piece of software is free of runtime errors. Well, in general, it, it really depends a lot on the structure of the program. So you can also achieve this by, let's say, this um, if you have dynamic allocation, if you have kind of a pooled allocation, that's also typically quite easy to analyze. And then it depends um, how frequently you analyze. And the more frequently you analyze, um, the higher is the danger that um, the analyzer will start to report false alarms um, or you might end up with having bigger analysis times than you would really like. Can you say something about um, the current extensions or development of Astres? Or are there some new features you plan to support and new things you, you would like to add? Or is this something which is quite stable? No, well, um, so we are tr continuously trying to, um, to, make, um, to, to improve the analyzer. So um, one thing we are faced with is, let's say, a, a growing software size. So we are constantly... Uh, optimizing the analyzer to to reduce analysis time and uh, memory consumption so that we um, we can handle bigger and bigger programs. So far, the biggest programs we had analyzed was about 100 million lines of code. Well, after pre-processing, but that's what the analyzer really sees. So that's well, kind of gigantic, more than we would have expected 10 years ago. So the analyzer has to be able with this. So uh, basically, we are we are constantly improving on this end. And then uh, one um, big step we made um, this year is that we have now a support for C++ inside of Astre that uh, we can also analyze C++ programs for runtime errors like divisions by zero, buffer overflows, and uh, dangling pointers, and so on. C++ is something that I definitely want to talk to you because I think that's really a, a huge uh, complexity add-on. So what are the biggest challenges when moving from C to C++ from the point of an analysis? Well, there are quite some challenges involved. So first with uh, C++, you have more implicit uh, data and control flow. And that first makes it harder for the analyzer to, uh, to analyze the program. And it sometimes also makes it harder to, um, to understand the messages from the analyzer because there may, may be behavior which is Im, Im, implicitly happening and the user does not explicitly see, well, this is a statement and this goes wrong. So for example, when you are, uh, when you are leaving the scope of some object and then the, uh, the destructor is called, there is no function call in, invoke the destructor here. So this is something which is explicitly happening. Then um, the C++ language itself is much more complex than C. Which parser are you using? <laughs> yes, that's a very good question, actually. Um, so we are using the Clang parser. So essentially, there are, let's say, three big parsing environments uh, which are around today. That's uh, that's GCC, Clang, and the EDG front end. And then we decided for Clang because it has the most uh, modern infrastructure and is quite widely used, for example, in Apple products and so on. So it has really a lot of uses and uh, is, is uh, quite stable as an environment. Great, we are also currently looking more and more into Clang, building a growing QKit for it and uh, things like that. And another question regarding C++. So my biggest concern is that some parts of the program are already executed from the compiler. So um, you use these templates and there are so many mechanisms inside. So how do you deal with, with those pre-processing power? Actually, the templates are 
not a big issue for the analyzer. The template mechanism is uh, quite, quite nice um, static way of, uh, let's say, of polymorphism. And um, it, it's um, pretty clear what's happening. So for the analyzer itself, this is not an issue in itself. Um, so um, so if you, for example, if we are using the, the Glenk front end, then the template resolution and so on, the template expansion, uh, better said, uh, has already taken place. Ah, you're, you're analyzing the XX uh, parented uh, code and then just don't care about this pre-processing. Oh, that's, that's a good, good way of, of looking at it, yes. Yes. Then you have to reason about uh, the front end, of course. So that's not something which is covered by our analysis. So in a sense, we are expecting that the front end is working correctly. But then you can decouple, let's say, the qualification of the front end from the analyzer itself. So that's uh, that's certainly um, possible. And it's also a reason why we choose a widely used uh, front end, uh, which also is, um, uh, well, is, is an open source tool. What is your impression about C++ in general? Do you think it's safe to use in, uh, let's say, ARTAS development and, and military, or is it better to use uh, just C or other languages? Yeah, that's also a very good question. So, so formulated this way, I would say it's better to use C, clearly, without discussion, because in C++ you can write very nice programs, and uh, in order not to be misunderstood, it's possible to write really safety-critical programs in C++, like the Mars Rover software was written in C++, but not if you just sit uh, on your desk and write it down. So you have really, really to think about it, and there may be hidden depths you, you have um, maybe underestimated. So for example, one thing is uh, which is very critical, and then there we are at, at the library, a discussion is use of the standard template library. So essentially the standard type template library was never developed for safety critical code. So if you're using this, then either you would have to qualify it, which is a challenge uh, in itself. On, on which we are working, yes. <laughs> yes, and it's uh, you can't do it in a, in a nice afternoon. No, 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 that's really <laughs> huge work. Yes, uh, or you have to develop it on your, on your own. And actually, we do have customers which develop their own standard template library, uh, which is compliant then to safety requirements. Well, uh, also, this is not, not so easy because then there are side aspects. So, uh, for example, the exception handling. In the standard template library, there is a mix of, let's say, the classical error handling by return values and uh, exception handling. And with C++, Exception handling is a cause of great concern, let's say. So um, you can read publications from the C++ working group that with the exception handling, you neither have space deterministic nor time deterministic behaviors. So that's something which is highly critical for, uh, for any kind of safety requirements. Yeah, we've made an extra episode on, on the exception handling. That's uh, uh, really uh, uh, something which has to be used very carefully. Yes. And this is also something which, which has um, developed, let's say, for example, in the adaptive autosar environment. So the trend is that uh, the adaptive autosar is trying to get rid of uh, exception handling in the, in the infrastructure. So they are removing exceptions. Well, personally, I like exceptions because uh, they uh, allow to structure programs better and to handle, um, to make it more clear um, where the exit is coming and more readable, I think. Nevertheless, there are some concerns and they uh, should be used carefully. 
I absolutely agree. For each function invocation, you have to check whether there is a return value and deal with it. The code gets extremely ugly and uh, it would have been nice, much nicer to just use exceptions, that's clear. And uh, the trouble is that you could have some static exception mechanism, for example, where you have an implicit return value which returns the exceptional values, which would be quite easy to analyze and handle, but that's not the way the C++ exceptions are implemented. So, for example, out of the exception handling, you could run into dynamic memory allocation with all the problems that uh, that's involved. And um, yes, that's problematic. That's something which need to be qualified, those kind of routines that that are used to unwind exceptions and so on. Yes, which is mostly a piece of art written in assembly, so that's um, fun to analyze. Validas, safety for your tools and libraries. Contact us at www.validas.de and ask for a free strategy talk. Okay, so we have been talking about uh, formal methods that you are using um, in your analyzer, but not only in your analyzer, you also have uh, used them to develop formally a compiler, a compcert compiler. Okay, mm -hmm. Can you say something about that, what, uh, what this kind of tool is and how you developed it? So essentially, what you mentioned is the compcert compiler. And so right now, this is the only formally verified optimizing C compiler, which is on the market. And... Formally verified um, is something different than certified. So essentially you can, um, so the traditional way is if you have a compiler, then you can qualify it and then um, you can also certify it for, for your development, for example. But um, the having a formally verified compiler assumption thing, which is entirely new. So people have been working on this for decades. And uh, we also did not develop the ComCert compiler by ourselves. It was a distributed research project all over the world, led by um, Xavier de Roy from INRIA at the time, now at Collège de France. And um, essentially what he started with uh, is, well, if I would want to prove a compiler correct, how would I do this? So essentially he wrote a correctness proof of a C compiler, starting with the formal semantics on C. And... Then, and he did this in a, in a theory prover called Coq. And then from this proof, actually the compiler is generated. So um, that means that um, this is actually the same thing. So you have written a proof, this compiler is correct, it preserves the semantics of the input program, and actually the compiler implements the proof. So this is an extremely elegant thing. And um, it also means that by design, The compiler is generated not to miscompile, not to generate wrong code. And uh, because the compiler essentially is the proof, you can also be sure that, uh, well, um, this is actually what it's doing. And um, the proof can also handle some simple optimization rules or something like that? Or is it uh, typical in a mathematical proof isn't about optimization at all? Yeah, so that's one big thing. So, because obviously, uh, if you have a compiler, then you also do have to have compiler optimizations. And uh, this is an optimizing compiler, yes. So, there are things like common sub-expression elimination, uh, very importantly, register allocation. So, that's uh, definitely optimizations which the compiler is doing. So, essentially, what's happening is that you, if you, if you, in a compiler, you start from an intermediate representation of the code and uh, at, at a high level. And then you uh, stepwise transform this to lower and lower representations of the code until you get to the machine code. 
and each compiler optimization stage is a stage in this transformation process. It takes some intermediate representation and produces another, hopefully improved, and uh, the compiler essentially proves semantic preservations between these intermediate... Does not change semantics. Yes, between all these intermediate steps the compiler optimizations are doing. Okay, well, great. Uh, very impressive work and uh, very interesting that this is uh, possible at all. I talked to Marcel Beemstra from Solid Sense in another episode and he said he found an error in the ComCert compiler. Is it possible at all or is he wrong? No, that was not an error in the ComCert compiler. It was an error in the, uh, let's say, in the formal C semantics. Uh, so, so essentially the, the compiler works with a specification And uh, I think there was some gap in the specification, which then showed um, um, showed in the in the validation suit. So for for the ComCert, we also cooperate with uh, Solid Sense in terms of the validation suit. So even if you have a formally verified compiler, you can still qualify it, because that exactly gives confidence about um, uh, essentially the correctness of the specification. There you can provide confidence with a validation suit. And uh, also for, for things like the preprocessor, for example. And the ComCert uh, compiler is also uh, available from Upsyn. So your customer wanting to get this compiler can contact you? Yes. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's, that's great. I know you're also a good programmer and parts of the Astre software probably from your hands. Well, minor parts, yes. <laughs> yeah, and what was your biggest challenge? In, in is there something you didn't achieve, or you, you you're very proud of, or? Uh, so, from my personal uh, contribution to the source is not, but in general, the challenge is always to, uh, let's say, to deal with the complexity of the code uh, which is under analysis. So um, that's something which is. Not easy, so so it's quite easy to write some static analyzer which does something, but um, to have this kind of advanced domains uh, we are handling in Astre and having this scale to uh, code sizes of millions of lines of code, that's really a challenge. And there's a lot of uh, thought which has been going into this, how to um, represent this enormous program state um, in an efficient way. So that that's... Um, really um, uh, quite some achievement, uh, I have to say. There's something usually people don't think about it when they write big programs that somebody has to analyze them and uh, translate, do more than translating them. Mm. Yes. As a summary, I think we have learned a lot about static analysis and apps and uh, as a company, the tool Astre and ComCert compiler. So Daniel, it was a pleasure to talk to you and thank you very much for being my guest today. Yeah, thank you for the invitation, Oscar. It's been a pleasure for me too. Thank you for joining us in our episode 42. And if you have questions on topics in tool and library qualification, let us know. We would be happy to answer them for you. Our email address is podcast at validus.de. That's it for today. Thank you for listening and don't worry about qualification. Be happy with Validas.